Hello, this is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Cloth. This was my sermon from this past Sunday, March 14th, 2021. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found on your pew Bibles on page 181 in the New Testament section. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised up us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. It's important to recognize that my sermon title is, isn't like some sort of movie theme. I looked at it as an idea of explaining how we talk about our life, our journey of faith. Like, like an epic poem, right? That's what we call it. It's, it's an epic. Our life is not just the pieces. It's, it's the entire epic of our existence. You see, Paul describes... Life in two paradigms. One, the past tense life, and the present in Christ life. I want you to hear that. The in Christ life. The first paradigm includes a life that was controlled by outside influences. A life driven by personal cravings and self-gratification. And a life brought on which brought on God's wrath. On the other side of the ledger is the new life that God gives. This life is nothing short of a resurrection. Christians have been made alive, raised, and seated in Christ, according to Paul. Paul says that this new life is marked by God's kindness and salvation and grace and a restoration in the imago dei, or in the image of God on earth. 
in a way that was spliced between the past and the present. Our lives are in this divine methodology. Paul says that God, motivated out of God's love for us, did it all and made it possible for any human being to die one life in order to be raised to the other. So in essence, Paul is giving us this idea that our life is split in two, the life before Christ and the life in Christ. Yeah, I think a lot of times Christians automatically say the life after Christ came into our life, but the truth is, is that we don't live after Christ. We live in our nature with Christ. I know it's semantic, but it's important for us to understand that when we say that we are dead to self, but alive in Christ, that means our life has to be different. We are different because of that moment. Now, Paul does this really interesting thing as he's talking about death because ancient interpreters look at death as having two meanings. At this time, in the early part of the church, they're still struggling with what the idea of soul is. Here in the 21st century, I think we have an idea of soul, but we still have been arguing about it since the very beginning. So death for him has two meanings. One is the separation from the body and the soul's pursuit of sin. We get this from an ancient interpreter named Marius Victorinus. He says, why does Paul call the devil the ruler of the world? Which is when he says, the prince of the air. That's what he's talking about there. Because virtually the whole humanity surrendered to the prince of the air. All are his voluntary and willing slaves, according to Christendom. Christians are given grace to resist the prince of the power of the air. But Paul confesses here his past transgressions. You see that children of disobedience, which he refers to, are subject to the devil by choice. Think about that for a second. When we talk about missing the mark, we're talking about we made the conscious choice to do the wrong thing. On purpose. Although Paul would argue that's not how we were created by nature. Now, in the first century mythology, an audience would have had little trouble imagining a demonic ruler. For them, the practices of magic were directed at harnessing or warding off the influences of such powers. Some scholars think that Ephesians drew up its source of the body of Christ, filling the cosmos to prove to believers that such forces had no way to enter their lives. For us, we do not know that people are subject to influences from our culture that mask the reality of being dead in sin. With the exception of a few things. Our most obvious examples of people having a moment or an understanding of creating something out of nothing, a, a chance to relive their new life, is those that are in recovery programs. 
addiction recovery programs. Let me give you an example. Here in Perry, we have the Celebrate Recovery that the Ministerial Alliance all participate in and help make this happen. And the thing that's awesome to this is those that are in recovery truly understand what this means because all of a sudden, when they break out of the, the addiction, they literally understand that they are something new on the other side of that recovery. And it's really easy to go back to that moment of addiction. We can succumb to our own basic primal urges to do wrong. And yet, you see people transformed by these recovery programs. I think Marvin Elliott does a phenomenal job, and, and as he's been in the hospital battling cancer, the, the, the way you know that the fruit of his labor is working is, is that the program still lives on, even with him not physically being able to be there because of illness. And these people come each week striving to find a connection to God and a way to battle the addiction that has taken over their soul in their mind. In my existence, the hardest part about dealing with people with addiction is this when they're young. There's nothing worse in the world than talking to a 15-year-old person and that listening to them talk about how they are addicted to meth because it's easier for them to deal with the life that's around them. And, and they say, I can escape from the reality that I find in myself with, a, with about $20. My life can be simple. And then you say, but there's so much more than that in this life. And at 15, they've already lost or they feel as though they have no way of getting out of it. Because, you see, being a Christian in these standards is extremely complicated. It's really complicated. You can't just be a Christian by just saying it out loud. You're putting on a mantle that is bigger and badder than any of us. When we say that our life has changed, we're literally meaning our physical existence. If you, if you draw from this, however, if you look at the addiction recovery model of connection here, first, before you can see your former lives as darkness, you have to experience self-recognition and conversion. In most recovery programs, the first thing that they say is, to, in order for you to start the road of recovery, is to admit that you have a problem. I want you to think about that for just a minute. You have to admit that you have a problem before you can find growth. How many of us do that with our own faith walk? How many of us are walking along the path and recognize that what we've been doing isn't necessarily the right thing. And then to ask God to guide us in a different direction. You see, it's easy for us today. We can say it all day long. 
There's another part to this that's important for us to recognize that in the time of Paul, as he's writing this thing, the world, the outside influences are designed by the Roman Empire. This idea that Paul's bringing is as foreign to them as it is to us. Yesterday, or I guess, yeah, it was yesterday, I, I was, Carmen and I were going to Walmart, and, and of course, I, I, I'm kind of a nerd. I don't know if you all knew that or not. Um, but I, I, I was talking about the, the structures that we find ourselves in today, and I compared it to the Roman Empire. And I think, I think sometimes that when I'm pontificating my wife because she loves me, she, she puts up with it as I go on to this rant. And, and I start talking about one of the things that's fascinating about the Roman Empire is that it, it built it off of this sense of democracy and it built this whole society, but there really was no moral code. It was just a, a sense of political power. And my wife goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And I kept going on and on and on and just getting all upset about it and, and then realized that part of what ends up happening is, is that when Rome falls, it falls due to the superstructure imploding upon itself. At some point, you can only plan so much, right? You, micromanagement does not work. And then, as the economic structure of the Roman Empire falls, all of a sudden, the ideas of what they once were starts to dissipate. And what comes out of the ashes is this Christian movement that leads the world for millennia. Now, some scholars would argue it's because they created a moral code, a way of behavior, a way of understanding that if we put on the mantle of being a Christian, that our life has to be different and a way of life that is moral and different than what the world gives. You see what I'm saying? And then if we take on that moral code, then our life will be guided in such a way that we won't ever have to worry about the culture collapsing because what we believe is an eternal understanding. Now this causes problems historically. I want you to think about how cultures have been led by moral codes. Hitler himself, Mussolini themselves, put this idea of a moral code that neglected other human beings. Imagine, if you will, what the world would look like if we actually, honestly put on the mantle of Christ. The epic journey that we find ourselves in Imagine, if you will, if we all took the road that Jesus has given to us, there would not be a need for the food pantry. There would not need, be a need for Operation Blessing. There would not be a need for us finding hotel rooms when the, the weather is bad for those that are homeless. Because we would have taken care of our Christian brothers and sisters in a way that modeled Jesus. Now, we can say all day long that we have self-recognition, that we are sinners. But the world has not been converted. 
Second, no one can make the journey from a way of life that is marked by death to a new life on their own. You see, the problem with this idea is, is that we have this crazy idea that this is my journey and it's all by myself. And that's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. You see, it takes shared power, a shared commitment with others, a community of faith. Why do you think the recovery programs work? Because we can relate to one another. I cannot take away your pain. I cannot feel your pain because your pain is yours. But I can sympathize with you. I can give you love in the midst of your pain. It's the only way to help break the deadly patterns of an old life. It comes to that place, the end result that God does all of this because God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. You're probably going to get sick of me saying this as we go in this time of Lent. It makes no sense to believe in John 3.16 if we don't believe in John 3.16. If God truly loved us and truly gave us his son so that all those that perish shall inherit eternal life, those that get salvation, those that find a connection, if that truly is the case, people, we have a lot of patterns of our old life that we need to change. We become the vessels of God's love, God's compassion into the world in such a way that is pleasing unto God. And we recognize that we have to come together as a community of faith and say, God, hello, my name is Joshua Bell. And I'm a Christian. And this week I was not very Christian. And then the audience would respond, hello, Joshua. And we would listen to one another and we would pray with one another and the world would be changed because our moral code has been given to us in the form of Jesus Christ. You don't have to fake it to make it in this world. But it's hard. And there's no way that you can do it on your own. So in this idea, let's make our Christian existence epic. Let's take that opportunity to be the image of Christ, the imago Christos in the world, in such a way that the world is changed. Let us be different than what the world has given to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.